Hey everyone, welcome back to the Reclamation Podcast, where our goal is to help you reclaim good practices for faith and life. My name is Tony Meltenberg, and I get to serve as the host of this podcast, and this is episode 90. Hard to believe it. We're almost at 100. It's going to be great. I'm looking forward to celebrating 100 episodes with you in just a couple of weeks. Until then, though, I'm excited to introduce you to a name you've probably already heard, Ben Higgins. Ben Higgins is the CEO of Generous Coffee. He is an entrepreneur, a nonprofit leader, and more famously, he's formerly The Bachelor. That's right. Episode or season 20 of The Bachelor, I believe Ben Higgins uh, was The Bachelor, and he did such a great job of living out his faith and what that means. He's got a brand new resource coming out, Alone in Plain Sight, where he talks about what it means to be seen and to be known. Um, I loved the way he talked about intentionality in relationships and how you're serving God and what does that mean and look like. And uh, I just loved his heart in our conversation, and I think you will too. Uh, as always, the best compliment you can give us is to share this episode with a friend, leave a rating or review on iTunes. It really does make a difference in helping people find us as they search for ways to grow in faith and life. Now, without any further ado, here's episode 90 with Ben Higgins. Ben, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I really appreciate your your generosity and your time. Man, I'm pumped to be here. It's uh, it's good to take a break away from uh, the daily grind and just chat with you and, uh, and yeah, whatever comes up today. I'm excited for it. Yeah, so uh, you grew up in Indiana and you're an IU guy, right? Big IU guy. Mass I, so IU I've got family in Lafayette, Indiana. Okay. And so they're really rooted in Purdue. So it's, is that rivalry as real for Indiana fans as it is for Purdue fans? Because I have a hard time saying IU without putting the word sucks behind it because of all the chance. Oh, it's, uh, it's very real, uh, especially when it comes to basketball. Um, it is, it is just so real all the time. Now, my parents and most of my family, actually, I, I, I'm going to make the statement. I think it's true. I think I was the very first on either side of my family to go to IU. Okay. Uh, my parents went to Purdue. They met at Purdue. Uh, they <laughs> love Purdue. Yeah. And uh, I'm an only child. And so I remember my decision-making process was like, I'm not going to do what my parents did because I'm an only child and I'm going to show that I'm my own person. And that's why I went to IU. I didn't have any clue what I was doing. I love IU though. I'm glad I did. It's a great place. Um, but it is it is uh, tangible in Indiana. Yeah, so I went to Indiana Wesleyan, and uh, yeah, I did. I, I did online and did my undergrad there before going on to seminary. So Indiana has a special place in my heart. That's uh, actually uh, two of our employees at Generous uh, went to Indiana Wesleyan as well, and my aunt works there. Uh, okay. My cousin goes there. So uh, Indiana, I know Indiana Wesleyan well. In fact, uh, these two employees are incredible, and so Indiana Wesleyan must be doing something right. Um, I was really, I was really impressed with the whole process, especially yeah. for. I went to a couple of their extension campus campuses in the Dayton area. That's uh, we live in Dayton, okay. and um, so yeah, it was it was a great education for me, and I was super appreciative of it. And everybody was really good throughout that whole process. So I'm, I'm sure you got some good employees if they're uh, if they're alum. I do. I do. They're the best. Um, now, you, you grew up in Indiana, and I, I'm kind of curious. Um, your your new book, Alone in Plain Sight, is, is 
a book that is laced in faith. But one of the questions I had is, what was your faith like growing up? Give me the foundation that was built upon um, your faith life as a as a young man and and you know heading into college. Oh man, yeah. So if I look back on my a lot of it, it's funny. I talked to my fiance about this the other day. Uh, we were just having fun conversations about you know kids and how we raise our kids and things we do and not do. And I was like, you know what? I and then people are going to freak out at me. I know they are. But one thing that uh, I'm going to I'm going to really have to walk a thin line on is the Santa Claus. Yeah. Um, because I grew up in, in a house that was so loving, so caring in uh, a community that was loving and caring and very Christian. Uh, Warsaw, Indiana, Wino Lake, I guess, Indiana was a Methodist capital of the world for years. I mean, it's it's about as Christian as you can get. Yeah. And uh, I grew up with a lot of comfort about like, it never was a question to me if Jesus existed or not. Right. Uh, mm. I never even had to really wrestle with it or process it. Cause it's like, everybody believes this. If everybody believes it in my, in my world, then of course it's true. Well, everybody also believed in Santa Claus until a moment we were told Santa Claus doesn't exist and it rocks your world as a kid. And I kind of had that same experience of getting my world rocked uh, in college, uh, which most people do. Um, it's not a shocking time to have your, uh, life expanded and uh, see other religions and other belief systems and people that didn't believe anything and had really good reasons why they didn't believe anything. Um, and so at that moment in time, I really had to start wrestling with things, thinking through things, processing things. I, I would explain my my faith as a, as a child, which luckily my parents, I think, put in a lot of work in their life, um, raised me in a home that uh, celebrated, that imitated um, and that was involved with Jesus. And so uh, I think they did a lot of work with that. I wasn't led completely astray when I got to college. I had a lot of good foundations built. Sure. Um, but I would, I, I think, and I, and I say this word and I don't mean it well. Um, I think my faith as a child moving into through high school was uh, my, my faith in Jesus was a comfort. Mm. Uh, it was just comfortable. It was, it didn't have it didn't have any questions. It didn't have anything I need to lean to. There was no big decision I had to make. Of course it exists and there's a God that loves us and there's a God that cares about us. And uh cool enough that one day when I die, I'll go to heaven and everybody will be happy and celebrate. Well, it was very simple too. So the comfort led led to a level of simplicity with my faith. And uh and i as I've gotten older, um simplicity in my faith still exists. Um, but the comfort of it maybe has left me. Um, more for the mystery and the awe and the wonder um, of who God is and, and what God is doing and, and where God uh, wants me. But that didn't come easy. Um, it's it's never, it's never, it, it's not been easy since I had to kind of release just the the message that I grew up understanding. Well, it's, it's interesting when you said that I got the image of like comfort food, right? Comfort food tastes good, but it's not always healthy for you. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. It's a good point. Um, yeah, it wasn't healthy for me. Uh, it was simple. It was, uh, it was closed minded. Um, and, and it didn't help me at any, like when I got to college, my faith just continued to get, I mean, I just like punched and fought against and kicked around. And I was left going, I don't know what I believe anymore because yes, you are destroying everything I've ever thought was true. Uh, and I need to find out what is true. And so I, I, I talked to my pastor yesterday about this and I made it, I, I told him the statement. I said, I remember in, at one point, it might've been after college. I said, 
uh, here's the thing. I want to follow truth wherever it is. Yeah. Um, like I, do, I mean, the reason I believe in Jesus is because I believe it is true. It's not an idea, not a concept. It's not, not some really cool, like, you know, view that helps us all function in according to, you know, culture and, and what our society wants. I had to find truth. And I'm still, I'm still constantly looking for truth in all things. Um, but the more and more I look for truth, and the more and more I started asking the hard questions, and the more and more I started to get on my hands and knees and actually cry out, God, if you're there, like yeah. if you're there at all right now, the more and more Jesus showed up. And, uh, and so I have to continue to lean on Jesus being true. Uh, because of my personal experience, I don't know if I could convince you of it. I don't know if I could convince somebody of of Jesus, but because of my experience and my my search for truth, Jesus was always there, and Jesus always proved true. And uh, but it's yeah, it was a lot of breaking down um, before I could start building anything back up. Well, one of the things I appreciate is towards the end of the book. Um, I mean, you get really in depth on, on how to lean into that discomfort of doubts. And uh, you tell a story about Matt and there, there's a phrase in there um, where you say, heed the call, right? For Matt to heed the call. And so I was, I was thinking about that and I was thinking about you and I, I was wondering, how would you articulate your call today? I, I mean, obviously you, you've got a public persona, you, you're the CEO of a, a for purpose kind of company and generous and you know, you're doing lots of different things. You're getting married. Um, you know, like your life is changing, bro. <laughs> like, yeah. h- how do you describe your call? Yeah. And, and I said a little bit ago, I said, you know, the simplicity hasn't left. And I mean it by answering this, this question is um, my call has proven over and over again to love others and love God. Mm. Um, and that's been it. Uh, that is my calling is to love others and love God. Now we can talk about purpose and where I think we find our purpose. Um, but when it comes to what I'm called to do, it's to love others and love God. Um, love my enemy. Well, love my neighbor. Well, love those around me. Well, uh, look, I think also within that umbrella of love is to look for those, um, who feel like outsiders, which is where this book comes from. Mm-hmm. Those, those who need, um, need support, need, need help. Um, it's like I do, like, I would hope that, you know, my, my, my neighbors, uh, would love me as well because I need help and I need support and I feel like an outsider. Uh, I think Jesus speaks about this and shows it and represents this. And I think when we would, if, if we had a utopian society where we could all love each other well and love God, well, um, this thing would work. Like we would be in a rhythm and a movement. We could all be experiencing our own skills and our own talents and, and our own purposes and supporting each other in that and lifting each other up in that and leaning into each other when we need it. But, you know, that's we're humans. That's not going to be the case. But it's it's something that I can strive for or I can focus on and I can take responsibility in my own life to love others and love God. How, how has um, your your new relationship and getting engaged in this process of marital prep, how, what has that kind of shown you about love? Like, has it, I mean, cause love is such a big word in our culture. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, obviously you got a lot of things going on. What, what have you learned about love in this process of, of getting engaged? And you guys just bought a house recently there in Denver too, right? 
Yeah, we just bought a house. Uh, two mortgages is fun. Uh, yeah, right not, especially in the Denver real estate market. Yeah. I don't get it. No, thank you. It's not fun. Um, what it's taught me. Well, you know, when I first met my fiance now, Jessica, um, I've obviously had a relationship off of The Bachelor that was very serious. And, and I learned a lot from that uh, about myself, really, and about what I was looking for in a partner. The one thing that... Uh, when I went into a relationship with Jessica, my, I think my, my outlook on what I was looking for was a lot different than it was maybe a couple of years previous. Um, I wanted somebody that was empathetic. I wanted somebody that could lean in yeah. um, to the difficult things in life. I wanted somebody that, uh, that I knew I could have the tough conversations with about what I was struggling with and that there would be a, an understanding, a grace and uh, a compassion for those moments. And I want to do the same for her, but in order to do that, we I, I had to find somebody um, who showed empathy, uh, not only to me, but to her family, to her friends, to strangers. And and I did that with her. Um, I think what it's taught me so far in the pursuit of like getting further and further along in our relationship and building up to a wedding that we were supposed to have last year and now we're going to have this year and right. hopefully um, is... Uh, there is, and this isn't going to fill the, the, the spot, but it's the understanding that we both have for each other in our own lives uh, that we're trying, um, that we're attempting to do this whole thing well. Um, and we're not always going to do it well, but we can do it as a team. And so I'm, I'm just learning a lot of the, I mean, I was single for years. I've lived in this house that I'm sitting in now for eight years alone. Like I haven't had to have anybody else invade my space in a long time. <laughs> Uh, and so a lot of what I'm learning is just how to give up the space to be loved and to love, love her. I, I think it's, uh, it might be Tim Keller who talks about the idea of marriage as being this sanctifying um, act that it's designed to really just rip away more of some of your stuff so that you can get closer to God through the act of marriage. Have you found that to be true? Yeah, I have. I think Tim Keller is also the one that says that like his wife is, been in relationship with five different men since he he married her like that you know he consistently changes uh mm. that the relationship consistently changes that she changes um you know that you mature you learn you process you go through difficult situations excuse me that builds character and resolve inside of your relationship um i've learned, i've seen all that we've been together for uh you know over two and a half years now um i've i've seen the ripping away the things that I needed to rip away. Um, I've seen the somebody that cares about me and that I care about them. And there, there is a responsibility um, to that. You know, when you invite somebody into your life to be loved and for you to love them, uh, there's a responsibility for how you cultivate that relationship and the things that you do and don't do and the ways that your mindset has to change and the freedoms that you don't necessarily have to give up, but the way your freedoms kind of shift. Um, it's also been really cool to have somebody that, so uh, for me, I think one of the cool things is have somebody that knows me so well yeah, um, and continues to know me so well. Um, I think that's been really fun for me is to have somebody that's so invested into who I am and where I'm going and, and what we're doing together. Uh, it's kept me accountable. And, uh, and as an only child and dude who is uh, single, like I said, for years and lived alone for years, I need accountability. I need somebody to stand beside me and, and say like, Hey, you're doing great. Or, Hey, you could do better. 
Uh, I was on your Instagram the other day. It was probably yesterday, actually. And uh, I noticed that you guys had sat down to start to watch the new season of The Bachelor. And uh, by the way, my... I've done podcasting now for two years and my staff has never been more excited for an interview than they are with me and you. So Kristen and Nicole were just like beyond, they asked if they could come sit in the room. And I was like, you can, that is so weird. You cannot, but I, I guess I didn't realize how, how much fervor there was for that show. Um, I mean, the fans are super passionate and, and this, so I saw you guys with their written on Matt James, who seems like a great guy. I don't know if you know him or not, but like, he's a good dude. Seems like a great guy. When you watch something like that, does it give you PTSD? I was in the army for a long time, and sometimes yeah. when I watch a, a a certain clips or certain spaces, it kind of like, who makes me sweat a little bit, breathe heavy. Does that does that uh, does that happen for you when you sit down to watch that show? Well, it's funny. That, yeah, the show, by the way, has a huge following. Like, yeah, day, when you nuts. start doing the show, you have no clue of the following until you get off of the show, and you're like. You like people will now tell you I watch you know other people that you never expected are like I love that show. I was like I never expected this, but people watch it. Tens of millions of people watch it, and they watch it with complete investment. And so yes, I've learned that. Um, you know, it probably used to. I forget a lot of the show now. Um, in five years, uh, it was a great season of life for me. It did uh, you know it was really good to me personally. Uh, I, I learned a lot about myself. I learned a lot about what I, uh, needed to work on. It allowed me the space to do things like this. Like today I get to talk to you. I don't, I don't think that happens or the odds are a lot less. If I wasn't on the show, um, I wouldn't be able to write a book and, uh, and have a platform to promote this book and talk about this book. Uh, but it's weird over the last maybe two years. And the thing I've been working on uh, the most is, is one of the common feelings I get now is, uh, is uh, I forget it. And then it's uh, like an envy uh, at the, the people that are on it now, not only a good envy and a bad envy, like I don't, I would never go back and do that again. Um, <laughs> I would never want to go back and do that again. I'm very happy and very much in love and I have a great thing going, but that was an exciting time in life. Sure. Um, I went from being uh, a software salesman and a good job. I don't hate that job. But I didn't love it. Uh, and uh, within a couple months, being the bachelor, and for the first time in my life, like people started to care about what I said and what I did and who I was dating, and and uh, it it was an exciting time for me. Yeah. Uh, and I just talked to Matt about this actually, and the fame piece of this gets really exciting. It's, um, it's fun for a bit. Uh, but I've learned now that fame has never been fulfilling. It's never been a p- pursuit that has ever left me feeling anything but wanting more. Uh, and so there's been a ripping away over the last two years of, uh, and maybe this is the PTSD is the ripping away of what am I going to be about? What is my legacy about? What, what who, who, is, who am I? Uh, because the pursuit of staying more relevant or to staying engaged in the in, in the fame process. Now, fame may come, and that's not a bad thing. Um, but what are you going to do with that fame? It's been a really fun switch for me to say, okay, this isn't about me. It's never been about me. When I made it about me, it never worked out well. And there's memories of when I started to make it about me that I have PTSD from. It's it's It was some really just like 
really lonely time in my sure. life. Yeah. Well, one of my beliefs is that uh, prolonged stress in our lives um, turns the cracks in our lives into canyons. So if, if you have any crack in your persona, like if there's a bad coping mechanism, if there's stress, and I've seen this on deployment, and I would imagine it has to be the same way in something like The Bachelor, right? Where they're going to record you over an extended period of time. It adds a certain level of stress. Yeah. Now, what's interesting for the Army is that the number one purchase by most soldiers when they return from deployment is a motorcycle, because they can't get the adrenaline rush anywhere else, right? And so they're trying to get the adrenaline rush, right? It's a crack in their life that is now turned into a canyon. If you think about the people that you know from from that world, do you, do you think that that's an accurate representation? Like it it kind of blows up the the best and worst parts of who you are? Yeah, definitely. Well, I was sitting with a guy right here at this table who was on the show after me. Uh, he's a guy and he went, he ran the fame race as hard as he could. He, hmm. he, uh, soaked it all in and tried to soak it in from a hundred different angles. And he sat here, I don't know, maybe six months ago and uh, he was in tears. And he's like, I've lost myself. I don't know who I am anymore. Um, I, I've chased after this thing that I thought I wanted that I thought I needed. And, and I've lost myself in the process. And I've lived at that point, it was three years of my life chasing after everything and and understanding nothing and i think that's what i see often with the show it's my only warning to bachelors i don't have a lot of advice to give matt james is going to do a great job um he's going to be a good guy he was chosen for a reason the guys before him the same thing uh but my only advice these days that i've i've at least it's been true to this point is never let your head get too big never let it get too small um stay in it for who you are in fact, uh, Chris Harrison, the host of the show, told me I, I share this a lot, but he shared some advice with me after I got off The Bachelorette, before I was announced as The Bachelor. And it was right afterwards. And he's like, hey, I think you're going to be The Bachelor. And uh, what are you going to do with it? Hmm. And I, was like, I don't really know, man. Uh, I don't know how to answer that. I, 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 this wasn't a part of my five-year plan. Right. Uh, and he said, he said, here's the advice I would give you is, Use this to enhance the life you've already have, not change your life completely. Um, and so I've taken that advice in because what I had before was a relationship with Jesus. Uh, at that moment in time, uh, I realized that this thing could never be about me. Um, and so, yeah, it, it, whenever I did start to make about me, those cracks did start to get bigger or they're a lot more noticeable. Um, I started to lose myself and, and chase after things or want things and desire things uh, that were not helping me or anybody else around me. It wasn't loving myself. It wasn't loving others. It wasn't loving God. It was just trying to fill a void. And when I started to make it about something greater than me, it all actually started to become a lot of fun. Um, yeah. It all started to make a lot of sense. It all start, actually started to get a lot less stressful because I was never the focus. Um, and I just get to be involved. In, in some really cool stories uh, when we start making about something greater than ourselves. You tell some of those stories in the book. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite ones is, is two of my favorite ones, probably big ones, Abby and, and Avery. So you Annie. mentioned Annie, I'm sorry. Yep. Oh, Annie and Avery. Uh, first of all, how's Avery doing? Cause he had COVID in the book. Had COVID uh, three times, man. Holy uh, smokes. 
and he uh, he is healthy now. I think he's COVID free as of maybe last week. Uh, I haven't seen the dude in a long time uh, because he's been on lock. I mean, when he gets on lockdown, like it's lockdown. Well, he was on lockdown. I mean, you kind of, you describe him kind of as like a bubble boy almost like, yeah. In the, yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, I, I can't imagine how sensitive he has to be to that. Super sensitive. I mean, here's the story of Avery and, and you'll read about in the book, but I met Avery when I did a, a, a visit at the children's hospital back in the day. And, uh, we met a lot of people that day, but he had his room was like completely isolated. It was locked off. It was, uh, it was quarantined. I think I maybe even use that word in the book. Like it was quarantined before quarantine was a thing. He was, he was the bubble boy. Like for a year of his life, he had no human connect, uh, connection. He wanted to come in in hazmat suits and he didn't function uh, with any like viruses coming into his system um, because he is so sick and he still is sick. His immune system is completely compromised at every level. Um. And so, you know, I won't give the, the story away, but the cool thing I see and learn from that experience is uh, what is it like to be disconnected completely, like physically disconnected, forced to be disconnected. Uh, I've learned a lot from that dude. A lot of wisdom exists in his life uh, because of that experience. Uh, but he's good now. He's a tool, man. He's the best. Uh, I think he's back to work. He's 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 brewing beer down at the uh, there's a brewery here in town called Brewability. It's for uh, people who, uh, have any, uh, mental handicaps or physical handicaps. Um, they hire them on and that's who runs this whole thing. It's a beautiful thing to walk. Oh, into. that's awesome. If you're ever in Denver, it's the coolest thing to stop by and see. Um, uh, but yeah, he's down there, man. I think he's managing it now, um, <laughs> which is great. But yeah, uh, his story, then, as you mentioned, Annie's story is one, uh, again, that comes, I mean, this is a cool story, but it comes from the show is, uh, friends of Annie reached out to me and said, Hey, uh, our friend Annie is, is passing away. Um, he was supposed to get her third lung transplant. Um, and uh, unfortunately she's been declined for it. And so, um, she doesn't have long left and we're doing a video of a bunch of her favorite celebrities kind of just saying hi to her. And so I did my video and saw the video. Then when it came back to me, they sent it to me and I was like, you know, this doesn't feel like enough. Like just sending a video doesn't feel like it, 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 there's got to be more here. And so I reached out to our friend and said, can I talk to Annie? Mostly selfishly, I just wanted to talk to Annie and learn from her. And that chapter goes into our conversation of what it's like to know you're dying. Um, and what it's what it's like to be facing death. Not, not in a time that's kind of mysterious to us when, when none of us know when we're going to die. But like knowing it's coming up. Like knowing there's almost a date that you could put and say this is it. Um I don't know if the chapter does it justice, but uh, the weight, the heaviness, um, the joy, the peace in those conversations for me are sacred. Um, it's probably the best way to say it. Like they far, they 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 go a lot farther than anything I can ever explain, probably through words. But talking with her in her last couple of weeks, uh, I think the whole book could have just been that. Like if I could have gotten that section out, it would have been worth it because. Uh, he was special. Yeah, it's it's obvious to me that in some of these moments that you have really given all of yourself, um, and and that's where I see you using your platform to glorify God in such a powerful way. Um, I, I'm curious how how do you um, discern when is the right time? Because obviously you're you're only you're limited, right? And sure. and so one of the questions I always love to ask people is how do you hear from God, and then how do you know when 
to act? Like what's your process of, cause I, I would imagine that a, a guy in your position gets requests, at, you know, frequently. Yeah. Uh, man. Uh, I was on, I don't know if you know, Bob Goff, but I was on his podcast oh, yeah. last year and he didn't tell me the topic. I don't know. It's his thing. And we, we started the thing and he goes, we're going to talk about time management and, uh, depleting resources we asked you the same question and i had to look at him and say i don't know how to answer you mm. um, and i'm almost going to say the same thing to you but i've learned a little bit since that question has been going on in my head for the last year since he asked me it uh i think one i mean this is like not anything too spectacular one thing i've done is i've 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 brought in other people help filter and bring resource to me and help to me and help to go through those things. The other thing that we say at Generous, because Generous gets a lot of these requests, and this is maybe the best way to say it, uh, is we look to invest into nonprofits or social causes that are effective in their mission. So they've proven their effectiveness. Um, they're sustainable. So they have a long-term outlook on, you know, if you're uh, bringing people out of sex trafficking, uh, not only are you helping recover them and, and get them to safety, but you're also helping um, rehab um, with mental health. Um, yeah. you're helping to get them to a place of, of sustainability, um, effective, uh, sustainable and efficient. They have to be efficient in their funding and what they do. Now, I, I like to say the same thing for my life. I want to invest in the things that are, are people focused. Um, I, I love animals, but, uh, I think I'm, I'm, um, called to be, a, be working with people and the resources that I do have and the time that I do have. I, I look to, for, uh, things and people that uh, that want to, you know, want to get better. And if they don't want to get better, I want to know why they don't want to get better. But I can't help somebody that doesn't want to get better. Right. Um, that are sustainable, that are effective, and they're efficient. It gets really hard. I don't have a great answer to that. It's something that I'm I'm still struggling with uh, because you get a you get an email from a, a wonderful human who's saying, "Hey, I'm hurting, and I need somebody to talk to," and uh, you maybe get ten of those a day. Well, that that's hard to keep up with. Sure, um, so it's 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 a constant push and pull. And if if somebody ever out there who is listening to this has a really good answer on how to do this, I would love to hear it. Um, but it just hasn't it hasn't gotten a rhythm for me yet. Yeah, I think it's probably one of those things uh, where you just have to constantly live in the tension of every request. Yeah, um, and I, I don't envy the position for sure, but. Um, but what you've done with it is beautiful. I, as a matter of fact, I saw uh, the message that you did for Dressember. My family and I were big advocates for Dressember. My wife's done it for seven years, and I had Blythe Hill on the on the um, podcast a while ago, and she's a an amazing human doing amazing things. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of tension in those kind of things all the time. Yeah, it is. Um, and you're right. Maybe living in the tension. I would also say, like, uh, in my younger years. Uh, right after the show, maybe, or even before the show, I was kind of always um, resentful to the request. Mm. Uh, push it away or go one more thing, you know, roll your eyes and be like, okay, I'll just get it and do it. Uh, I'm, I'm learning maybe it's because I have more time and, and maybe the requests are slowing down or it doesn't really feel like they are. Uh, like, get excited about the idea that I, I'm still asked to be involved. I'm excited that I, I still get the opportunity yeah. to be a part of these things. These are incredible things. Like you said, dress Simber and the, the things that I get to advocate and be a part of, I believe in them. And that's why I'm speaking upon them. 
and I and I don't necessarily want that to go away. I want to live in the tension. I feel fortunate to even have the ability to be in the tension. Um, that's a very very fortunate place to sit is to even have the opportunity um, to be involved. And and I would like to then like kind of swing this to say, uh, and then part of the book is this is you know I was at uh at my cousin's uh, theater program and. Uh, all these kids are so sad that their program was leaving because they were going to miss the the group that they had around them. And this will tie into what I was saying is, and my, it came to my mind at that time. I was like, well, why don't you go out and create uh, this group outside of, you know, Indiana or uh, uh, Marion, Indiana? Why don't you go out and create this group uh, wherever you go in this world? Because you know how it feels to be loved and to love others and to show understanding and grace and empathy like you wouldn't do that. And so I'm fortunate to sit in the tension of it because I get a platform to do it on. I think everybody has a platform. Sure. You have breath. Like you're here. Yeah. You're like on this earth. Like that's a big platform. That's not, not a lot of people um, get the opportunity to be on this earth and to have breath and to have value and purpose. And we all have that. Uh, mine just happens to come with a million followers on Instagram. And that's great. But it doesn't like I don't know if the data and the numbers change the impact. I think all of us have an incredible calling upon us, and that is to again love God and love others. Well, and I I, I think especially in as the season of COVID that we're in, that's such an important message. Um, I, you know, I've seen so many people are like rocked by the fact they can't go back to Sunday morning worship, and I'm like, man, worship is so much bigger than Sunday morning. It's yeah. it's it's everything that we get to do. Uh, for God with our lives and making disciples and, and going out and, um, you know, living kind of our our call, like, like you said, uh, how do you stay rooted in your faith on a, on a daily basis with all the things that you do? Any, any daily practices that you're like, man, my day, like will not go well if I don't do X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, do one of them is working out. I think that's a great practice. Yeah, love uh, it. For my spiritual, emotional, mental uh, health. I, I I think it's understated oftentimes that that is a incredible thing for me to be able to do. Another thing that's uh, I'm very fortunate to be able to do, but it's a great practice for me. It, it kind of resets uh, the day. I do it first thing in the morning. Um, I work you, out. You a CrossFit guy? What what do you do? It's like, it's called F45. It's like a, it's like a CrossFit ish gym. Um, it's without heavy weight. And so I have terrible knees, man. I've bad high school injuries. And so, um, I, I read that in the book and I resonated. I had, I tore my ACL and meniscus last year doing box jumps. Okay. So you get it. Um, and, uh, and so like I have to take it easy. Like I, I, I still can get the cardio. I got to take it easy. Um, the other thing is I am a big fan of contemplation. Mm. Um, in fact, last night, and uh, I'm always healthier when I do. I'm, I'm feeling pretty good today because last night I was sitting here at this table and I, I do this weird thing. Um, people think it's odd, but I love it. I, I turn off all the lights in my house and I play. Last last night I was playing Josh Garrell's new album. Um, I heard it's really good. And, well, and he kind of yeah. covers, he's a beautiful voice, but he covers some um, some worship songs, but also just some really good, like I would call them like truth songs, like life songs, like about mm. anything. Like they don't necessarily have to be in the Christian realm. They're just speaking of things of the heart and of the soul and that we all experience. And so I, I turn that on. I turn all the lights off. I turn on a candle and I just sit. Um, and and I draw oftentimes. 
And uh, I would show you the picture I drew last night, but that would be weird. Um, but, uh, yeah, um, but I, I do that often. It helps yeah. me recenter. It helps me refocus. I um, the mystery uh, of God is still something that's so intriguing to me. And when I'm constantly overwhelmed and um, inputted with communication, I don't think about these things. Like I don't. It's, it's hard for me to like be in, in be in a place of peace and comfort and understanding. And so. The times of silence are really big for me. I'm a huge advocate of silence, yeah. uh, no matter who you are. Um, I think the tension of silence, I think letting your mind in a sense go and, and, and through that, like almost pray through the silence is an incredible thing where all of a sudden life starts to not click. There's nuggets and there's, there's things that you remember. Um, and I do that often. And I think that helps me. Uh, it also in this thought, I know I'm rambling, um, to end this thought in the silence. I oftentimes I have this notebook that sits in front of me and all of a sudden, like there's somebody in my life that comes up to my mind, mm. you know, I don't think about it. So I write them down and then I want to contact them for whatever sure. reason. Maybe it's just to say hi, but it allows me the space to start to think about who have you neglected or who have you not spoken to who needs to hear from you or who do you want to hear from? And, and so I use that time also to kind of, get a, a a strategy that sounds super, super uh, diligent or whatever discipline. Um, but I get a strategy for, for where and who I want to communicate with. Um, so that's, that's my big crap. I'm a big fan of silence. I love that. We often say here that if you're not dedicated to your disciplines, you'll be destroyed by your distractions. Yeah, I, I stay distracted a lot. Um, I want me too. I'm, I'm all over the place. So I, I, I really find that, uh, dwelling with God, the way that you're talking about is a, is a perfect, I do mine in the morning. And one of the things I've been trying to do, even after my, like my scripture time and my prayer time is like sitting in silence. Yeah. And that's so hard for a guy that likes to talk. Tough man, but it's good. It's healthy. It, it, it is good. Does, do, do you and Jessica do anything together? Uh, we pray a lot together. Um, we, I, uh, you know, and, and we're, we're getting a good balance here. Um, I seem to be uh, a critic a lot. Uh, so we'll leave maybe church on Sundays. And I'll be like, I, I don't, that didn't fit with me. Like, I don't get it. Like, help me understand this. Like, hmm. you know, the pastor said this, but yet uh, the way I read this in, in scripture, the way that I've seen, I'd interact this world doesn't fit with what was being said. And can we talk about it? And she does like, I love her because she sits in that. But like there's also times where she's like, she does, she doesn't, she's not a critic. Like she's, a, she celebrates and she loves hard and she loves well. And, um, but, but I always enjoy when we can have those conversations or sometimes I, I notice I ramble for 45 minutes and she sits there and at the end she goes, I'm glad we could talk about it. And, <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, faith is is the cornerstone of our relationship. Um, in in the most, I, I would say, real way, it's mm-hmm. uh, it's what we both thrown our eggs in. Like our ba- our basket is full of Jesus eggs, and we're saying, "Hey, if you take Jesus away from me, you take everything." Um, and so, as a result, our relationship is built on that, and and we have trust and faith uh, that that Jesus is going to work through us and with us. Um, the cool part of that is, is Jessica, um, has a, a heart, uh, 
or desires to involve herself in the lives of others who are hurting and needing as well. And so we do a, we do that together. Yeah, um, is I think one of the coolest things we can do. Yeah, that's awesome. I uh, I'm a big fan of uh, spouses who pray over each other as well. Like so, as, as uh, when I'm doing premarital counseling, I always challenge my couples. Uh, that I think that if couples who can get into a, a regular habit of praying over each other, if you have to pray for your wife's head and her heart, and then she prays for your head and heart every day, I found it to be transformational in the marriage. And and like physically laying hands on them to pray is such a, a powerful act uh, and, and a discipline, especially on days when you don't like them. Yeah. Yeah. That's a- that's a big deal, huh? Um, <laughs> and yeah. I also usually tell the guys that it's a great way to uh, it's a great way to say something without your wife interrupting you. Yeah, yeah, you can like it's a moment of of silence. Um, you know, it's it's been a really cool. This is this is a relationship, but I've had others that you know we we share a common faith. Um, but you know, you asked earlier one of the things I'm learning. It's just such a um, it's made life not only. Um, more beautiful, but it's, it's really good to have that partner sitting beside you, holding you accountable to the things like you're saying is what does she need in our relationship? And also what does she need to continue to pursue Jesus with everything she has? Um, and I get to be a part of that now, like a, a deep part of that. And I, I haven't held that responsibility in anybody else's life ever where I've been asked to be such a, a deep and connected piece. Um, their journey that I believe is the most beautiful adventure we'll ever go on. And so, um, yeah, it's been fun. Uh, we're, we're, we, we, we try our best. That's awesome, dude. I love it. Um, so my listeners love to pray for people and I'm curious what they can pray about in regards to this book. So like as this, uh, as this writing comes out and there's some incredible messages in here that people need to hear, um, what, what's the, what's the prayer as this book gets launched out into the wilderness? Definitely. Um, it comes at a good time and, I, and this probably isn't, um, this won't be the fluffy thing that I, I probably should say. Um, but the publisher has a lot invested into this. Um, my, my risk reward is, you know, writing this book, yeah. um, putting myself out there to the best of my ability the one thing I hope for in this is that at the end of it all, we can all celebrate. Hmm. This was good. Uh, and so the prayer here is that this is good. Now I've used to say, I would love to sell so many copies of this book. Well, what I realized is that isn't again, fulfilling. What I really hope is that one person reads this and their life has changed for the better, or they feel less alone after reading this book. That's my hope. If I summarize it and say, I hope, one person at least can feel less alone after reading this book and it would all be worth it because I, I, I personally want to live, live with the belief that that is the value that one person has in this world is that if one person is helped and this has all been worth it. However, there's the side of this that says, Hey, I hope we can all, all these people who have put in blood and sweat and tears into this book and who have risked um, themselves into it, myself included and my team and then the team at the publishing company, at the end of this, we can all look at each other and this was good. Like this was um, this was something that we can celebrate. I want to be able to celebrate this book. Now, not only because it's the very first thing in my life that I've ever done that I've um, uh, kind of created, written, um, marketed, promoted, uh, but also because it is me. 
Uh, it represents me. It's my story. And, yeah. uh, you know, I, I want, I want celebration. So uh, people can be praying that this book is a place of celebration for all of those involved, including the readers who get to pick it up and read it. Um, we can all celebrate it at some point. I love that. Um, so where's the best place for people to go to learn more about you or the book, or, uh, if you're doing any book tours or anything like that, I'm sure COVID makes everything weird. So where's the best place for people to start for more information? Definitely. Uh, benhigginsbook.com. Okay. The best place. I would say pre-orders are helpful. It helps kind of set the stage for the launch. Uh, it gets people, uh, it gets, you know, the big like uh, Barnes and Nobles and Amazons and all those play targets, all those places kind of interested in it. So pre-orders really help. Um, and so if you're like, hey, this book sounds like something I would like. If I feel if you've ever felt alone or if you've ever felt disconnected from yourself, from others, uh, from romance or from God, uh, I believe this book could be a book that would be at least a benefit or yeah. uh, something you should pick up. If you've ever felt that way and, and you're interested in it, pre-ordering it right now would be super helpful. And so benhigginsbook.com is the place to go. Also, we'll have all the dates of the non-existent book tour because of COVID hasn't been planned yet. Um, so yeah, that'd be the best. Uh, that's awesome. Uh, okay, last question. I always love to ask people. It's, uh, it's an advice question. If you could go back and give yourself one piece of advice, except I, I like to make it a very specific moment. Um, so from my understanding, you met Jessica by, uh, sliding into her DMS as it's told on the internet. Um, if you could go back and I guess it's several years now and give yourself one piece of advice as you begin to start this relationship with her, what's the piece of advice you would say? Um, I think the, the advice I would say is to start, um, you know, th- okay, let me, let me preface this. Cause it was sure. a conversation I had with my best friend. Um, when I met Jessica, I knew it was going to be special. Mm. Uh, and I was actually given the advice I would have given myself. This is probably three months after meeting her. Uh, and I called my best friend and said, I'm struggling. I, I'm, I'm falling in love with this girl. She's incredible in every way. Um, but being single has been exciting. Uh, I'm still known as the bachelor. In fact, the bachelor at that point was still calling me uh, to say, Hey, would you ever want to do the show again? Like that is exciting. Um, it, it feels good to be, to be there. And I said, I'm, I'm worried, man, that uh, I'm about to enter in a relationship, but I, I don't know if um, the excitement is going to still be there um, years from now. And he looked, he, he was married. He's, he is married. Uh, and he, he sat me down and he said, here's my advice to you. Yes. Things might not be as, um, I forget the uh, kind of erratic. Yes. Life might need, might not be as, um, exhilarating or, uh, the adrenaline of constant new thing might not be there, but entering into a relationship with somebody like Jessica, uh, and entering into a committed relationship at all can allow life to be so much more beautiful. Mm. and fulfilling um it was a moment that i i now see uh, i've experienced that i'm in it right um but i wish i would have given myself that when i first met her because i think when i first met her there was that wall of insecurity up going uh hey i think this thing's a real deal i'm lucky to have you in my life but i'm nervous about what this means mm. um 
And, and I wish I could have given myself my, that advice back then to say, no, this is going to make your life so much more beautiful. Um, this is going to make your life so much more fulfilling. The possibilities in front of you are endless. Uh, and now you get to do it with a partner. Uh, I, I lived in, I lived in too much in my own head for too long. Uh, but that would be the advice. That's awesome. Uh, Ben, thank you so much for your generosity today with your time and for, uh, for this writing and for what I think it's going to do for so many people. Uh, so I, I really appreciate the time today. Hey, Tony, thank you, man. It's been awesome. What a phenomenal conversation with Ben. I'm so thankful for his heart and his time today. He was so generous. And I I love the way he talked about what it means to be seen and known by God and ways to connect in his meditation practice and just how important it is to be disciplined about our connections. I I really hope that everyone hears that in his words today. Again, uh, please share this episode with a friend. Leave a rating or review on iTunes. Those are the best two ways that you can support the podcast. We're always trying to get the word out. Tag us on social media if you want. I'm at TWMilt. Follow Ben Higgins and be sure to pick up a copy of his book, Alone in Plain Sight. Thank you guys so much. And I look forward to seeing you next week, episode 91.